Blog Talk Radio. Highway Suite 1, 423 
for your graphic needs, your advertising needs, they do classifieds as well. They're the number one red reader in the tri-state area here in northeast Tennessee where I live at, southwest Virginia, Lee County, and Bell County, Kentucky, and then 12 counties in Tennessee. They service all those areas. Lynn Earls is the main man to see. He's from Middlesbrough, right there in southeast Kentucky where I grew up. Huge Cats fan, so give Lynn a call, 423 uh, com and SMKY Trader on Facebook and Twitter. So check them out online or in print. Uh, appliances, vehicles, small items, large items, whatever you would like to list, sell, or buy, or trade. You can do it all in the Smoky Mountain Trader. Also, the show is brought to you by Huff Law Office, and we're going to be joined by the owner of Huff Law Office soon. It's our guest, Aaron Huff, joins us uh, at 630. Get his information because he offers a lot of services at Huff Law Office up there in northern Kentucky, up there in Florence, Florence, y'all. 7430 U.S. 42 Suite 107, Florence, Kentucky. You're facing a foreclosure, a repossession, a wage garnishment, tax issues, mounting credit card and medical debt. You may need a bankruptcy. You can find out what you need, what you don't need. Call Aaron Huff at the Huff Law Office today at 859-647-0713 with an office in Florence, Kentucky, providing representation for the Covington, Lexington, Frankfurt, and London divisions. If your finances are rough, call Huff. So we will be talking to Huff in about 25 minutes or so. So looking forward to that. Looking forward to having another fun show. TV, like you mentioned, we'll get into detail about all things Kentucky basketball, touch on spring football, baseball, softball as well, uh, MLB as well too. Um, like you said, encouraged by what we saw over the weekend. Abilene Christian wasn't very, very good. But then to see Kentucky have to kind of adapt against Wofford, who is a better team, still not from a name recognition standpoint, but a good scrappy team, knocked down a lot of threes. McGee, Fletcher McGee, their best shooter, went over, and he was getting harassed by Hero pretty much all game long. Kentucky did what they had to do. It was nip and tuck, and, and you had to battle, and you had to – you had to work. They made you defend them for, for the full shot clock. Um, you, you couldn't let up against them, so you had to stay locked in, and that's one of the things you heard Cal say and one of those things you have to teach every year to those freshmen coming in because in high school you don't have to do that. You can just out-athlete everybody and not be as fundamentally sound or disciplined as you need to be, but that was – not going to fly against Wofford, and Kentucky was able to lock in. Jamal Baker coming in, providing some good minutes as well, uh, offensively and defensively. Yeah, yeah. so you look at the first game, and thanks to Virginia last year, the the top is off. The steel has been broken on a 16, beating a 1. I've talked about this for a while. You and I remember as we were growing up, once the tournament expanded to 64 teams in 1986, generally speaking, maybe a top six seed, you got the first game off, right? You just, 
that first game, if you were a top seed, was just your 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 second unit guys know they knew they were getting in, right? They they knew that oh, this is going to be my opportunity to play. That first game was almost a give me. And if you were a top one or two seed, it was almost a cakewalk to the Sweet 16 for long. And then we started seeing, you know, that 6-11 game became competitive. 11 seeds started winning. And then that 5-12, right? And then that, that 4-13 game. And then we started seeing the two seed seven. Uh, Ole Miss in 98, they were a, a two-seed, I believe, and two C-State squad losing to Valparaiso, if I'm not mistaken. But we saw, you know, that 215 game become really competitive. And then we started seeing the one six, the 16-1 game, you know, they were competitive, you know, to halftime. We started seeing a lot of close halftime scores. Oh, man, North Carolina is only up on North Dakota State by, by four or five. And then the, the – the, you know, the second half, they would run away. And then last year, we saw what we what we knew would come eventually, but Virginia goes down and, and the way they went down. So from here on out, you have to win six very difficult games. And I said all that to set up that the first game, Kentucky didn't look great, but they took care of business. You know, they did what they had to do to get a little bit of rest uh, for some guys in the first round. That's what you want. I liken it to the Bulls during their run uh, to the title uh, under the Michael Jordan years. They would always, that first round series, they would try their best to sweep, right? Jordan would be in finals mode that that first week. You know, it was usually against like the Hawks or the Heat, if you remember. It was usually the Hawks or the Heat, they would sweep, that see, way, why, why you gotta bring the Hawks up? Why you gotta bring the Hawks up? You, because you know, the Steve Smith, Mickey <laughs> Blaylock, they were they were always good, but they always oh, met yeah, the Bulls okay. like in the first yeah. round. That's true. And they would just, true. you know, George would sweep them and they'd get that that weak rep. So that's how you have to attack it. You have to come out in the first half and and get that separation and and everything. And, and Kentucky Kentucky was able to do that. Thirteen points allowed in the first half, that's pretty darn good. That's, that's, I don't care who you're playing, that's a Kentucky record for the NCAA tournament. And as I've also said before, if you're putting, if you're making a Kentucky record of any sort for men's basketball, that's pretty good. You have to look at the entire history of Kentucky <laughs> basketball. And if you do something that puts you in a record book, yeah, that's pretty darn good. So uh, they finished that. So all year we've heard about Kentucky three-point defense. And we know what Walford was capable of, Fletcher McGee, the all-time leading three-point maker in college basketball history. And we saw what they did to Seton Hall uh, in their first-round game. Got hot. Uh, I think Seton Hall was up eight or nine points with five or six minutes left, and Walford got crazy hot. And everybody rightly so said, okay, Kentucky's got to bring their three-point defense. They've got to, they've got to bring it. Well, everybody remembers Duke shooting like 18 of 34 in the first game. Uh, you know, well, not quite that much, I don't think, because it was 18 of 34. I think that's what VMI shot. But Duke shot 50%. VMI shot 50%. And you look right around Thanksgiving, 
and the U.K. three-point defense was right around 41-42%, which is not very good at all. I mean, that's downright terrible. But then a funny thing happened, and I went and I did some research, and I think I tweeted this out before the Wofford game, and going into the game, Kentucky's three-point defense for the season was closer to 33%. Not great, still, you know, outside the top 100 of teams, but if you are going to go from what was at one point 48% was what they were giving up on the year in November to 33%, that's pretty darn good. And so my thing was the defense isn't as bad as you think it is. It has gotten a whole lot better. As you said, uh, to start the show off, the things that guys were able to do in high school, they weren't able to, they're, they're not able to do that now. You have to change how you do things. And I don't think Coach Cal gets enough credit for getting his teams of one-and-done guys, of top elite guys, to play defense. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. It helps if you have an Anthony Davis. It helps if you have a Carl Anthony Towns on the back line. And it helps, obviously, if you've got a Nerlens Noel that can win games by himself on the defensive end. That helps. But honestly, Cal's teams, and I have looked at this, have gotten markedly better defensively as the year goes on. I know he just rolls out the ball, but better. So against Walford, what you have to love is Tyler Hero wanting the job of guarding the guy you have to guard. It's a, it's a trope. It's a whatever you want to call it. But you shut down their top guy, and you, you're, you're okay with the other guys beating you. If, if the third or fourth guy beats you, so be it. I think your Rockets won a title because uh, I think it was against the Knicks in 94, if I'm not mistaken. The Knicks just swarmed Akeem Olajuwon, and your boy Carl Herrera, like, averaged a double-double for that series, and, and, the, and, and, and the Rockets win, right? And, and if you're Pat Riley and Knicks, you got to say, if Carl Herrera is going to do it, okay. But we're not going to let Akeem do it. So you have to give up something to shut somebody down in basketball. So Kentucky offense was not very good. The half-court offense hasn't been great since P.J. has been out. But yeah. the defense was there. Defense travels. Defense travels. So everybody was so worried and so up in angst against Walford. I was out and about uh, with Little Miss this Saturday. I listened to the pregame with Buzz Baker and Mike Pratt talking, you know, and they were saying they've got to guard us as well. And what will happen is if the Cats are able to, able to be physical, if they're able to really make Walford work when they're on defense and really – you know, Shadow McGee, you know, their, their, their legs will be gone in the second half. And yay, verily, it came to pass. Through the first two games of the 2019 NCAA tournament, Kentucky three-point defense is 29%. And you can factor in St. Abilene Christian wasn't very good, but Walford was one of the best teams in the country at shooting the three-point shot. The all-time leading three-point shooter in college basketball history was 0 for 12, an NCAA record for futility from the three-point line. That, my friends, is how you win games with your best player not playing. That's how you get it done. They won it with Hero not being – well, playing great defense. His offense wasn't there. 
which is to be expected, but he did hit free throws late. He's become an automatic. Right. As you said, Baker, who, you know, I put him on there with the Marcus Lee. I didn't see this performance coming, <laughs> NCAA tournament performance. <laughs> I never would have yeah. thought Baker, and he was doing it on both ends of the court. I saw somebody tweet yeah. he missed his first shot. I thought Baker was supposed to be a shooter. Then he gets his eight points, and, and he's running the – I mean, he's running the offense. He's out there in crunch time. Again, I don't think Cal gets enough credit for that, where a guy you don't think will, will, will do something, does something. Again, Marcus Lee, how do you keep a guy engaged throughout the bulk of the conference mm-hmm. season and to have him ready to do what Marcus Lee did in the regional final in 2014? How do you keep Baker, mm-hmm. who, who didn't see the floor, I don't think, against Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, the SEC tournament, I'd have to check, right. but – you know, mm-hmm. his minutes haven't been there. How do you keep those guys engaged? That's coaching. And we talk about, again, it's one of these tropes. It's one of these cliches, next man up. Baker was ready to go in a six-point game. Where you stat per, uh, people out there, for a six-point game, Jamal Baker's plus-minus was a plus-17. Do you know how insane that is when he only, only scores eight points? That means he's doing a lot of little things right that don't necessarily show up in the stat scores. So you have to feel encouraged. And, and I know we're looking ahead whether or not P.J. Washington is going to play uh, the, the ruling officially day-to-day. Uh, we all saw the video of him walking. We all saw that. We, uh, we saw the video of him getting onto the, the bus for the airport, uh, still with that, put, had the boot back on. And this is what I'll say about that. I know we got Aaron Huff coming on. We're going to talk about this in great detail. Coach Cal and his staff and the media folks, I don't think they would have done what they did with with all the hoopla on social media today if they didn't think P.J. was going to play. You know, a lot of people saying, well, well, you know, Cal's getting real cute. Cal knows this fan base. And if P.J. doesn't play, and the Cats lose, I mean, this is, this is beyond any other flub he has had, you know, 2015 losing to uh, Marquette, uh, not Marquette, but Wisconsin, um, you know, but any other flub, saying the biggest night in Kentucky basketball history was the night all the guys got drafted. This would be huge. This would be a huge mark if, he, if they didn't think P.J. was ready to go. I don't think you do that. I don't think you tease this fan base, this may work in Houston, Buffalo. It may even work in Duke, in Durham, and, and in Chapel Hill. It may work. It won't work because Cal knows if, he, if they do this, P.J. doesn't play, right, then now you've got little old ladies from your neck of the woods. You've got people from Leslie. <laughs> That is going to be the number one topic of conversation until he leaves Kentucky. Is why would you do that, Coach? I, I mean, another title or whatever. You know, even if Kentucky makes it to the Final Four this year and PJ doesn't play, I, I don't think Cal is the kind of guy. He's he's a he's a showman. He's all that. I don't think he he does all this unless he thought PJ was going to play. Right. All right, so yeah, it was definitely a lot of hoopla, like you said. The, 
the uh, actual video of them walking to the plane. Uh, Hillary, I forget her last name, from WKYT, was like staked out right there getting that shot of the door opening. TJ tweeted himself of legs and feet walking <laughs> without cast in, in gym shoes, um, that whole thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Disagree if you want to disagree, but I'm, is this the biggest BBN refresh their phones thirsting for information event? All this that we've had leading up to PJ status, is this the biggest situation of that nature since everybody was up at midnight waiting to see what Hami was going to do? Is there something that's happened since then that was bigger, or is this the biggest hold-your-breath BBM moment of angst since Hami's decision? Yeah, you know, because I was thinking about, you know, and, and we've had some injuries over the years. I don't think that gets talked about. And, again, no one's going to feel sorry for Kentucky when you look at right. uh, Willie Cauley-Stein in 2014. Uh, you look at uh, Alex Poitras in 2015. Um, obviously, Nerland's Noel uh, going out in 2013. Uh, but those, you knew they were done. You were, they were done. You know, Nerland's you knew yes. it was done. Poitras was done. I, I don't think we've had um, – this kind of will he, won't he, what's going on, uh, yeah. probably, you know, there's the ILO. I think, you know, the next biggest thing would have been, um, you know, maybe Derek Anderson in 97 <laughs> because from all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, you know, he was practicing and playing and probably could have gone, but, you know, that's neither here nor there at this point. But this has got to be the biggest injury with, you know, will he, won't he kind of situation. Um and so about that, and Kyle Tucker uh, had a great uh, article on The Athletic talking to Paul Washington Sr., PJ's dad, and I know the folks that follow me, these, these, these players don't really owe us the information that we want. And I understand mm-hmm. I'm a Kentucky fan, okay? I know that if we want to get number nine this year, we need a healthy P.J. Washington to do that. Selfishly, I want him back out there. But you also have to take a step back and realize, number one, you know, he, he's a person, right? Number two, yes. you know, he's somebody's kid. So, and this isn't mm-hmm. just specific to Kentucky fans, specific to, uh, you know, sports fans or, or basketball fans, you know, and we see this kind of thing where, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, just shoot him up with something, get him back out there. Well, you know, that's great if it ain't you getting shot up, right? Mm-hmm. For me, I go right back to, you know, Kevin McHale that played, I think, with a, with a, with a broken foot or something like that in 1986 to get the Celtics championship and was never right after that. You yeah. know, was never yeah. quite the player he was. Uh, more recently, you look at Isaiah Thomas, who, you know, through his sister, uh, you know, his sister dying and, and all the injuries he had his last year at the Celtics, gave everything, hasn't been the player since, you know, and probably if he had shut it down, 
probably would have gotten a better contract than he ended up getting. So I can't fault again. Well, he's just worried about his future. We all are. I don't think that makes him any a bad person. You know, if PJ said, hey, I don't want to give it a go because I'm not fully healthy, that's your decision to make. And, and looking at Derek Anderson in, in 1997, I will always respect Patino. You know, people, you know, Patino this, whatever. He could have played Derek Anderson. We, we think Derek was healthy. He thinks he was healthy. But the easy thing would have been to try to wring a championship out of that kid and then you really hamper what he's able to do, you know, with the rest of his career. So I will always respect Patino for that. But the speculation, you know, P.J. played with a broken finger on his shooting hand for the last three months of the season last year. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to question his toughness? I mean, the kid wants to play. His parents want him to play. I refuse to believe that he's put all this work in, really remade his game. I mean, for the last two months of the season, he was the SEC player of the year, in my opinion. He played really, really well. I refuse to believe he put that much work to come back in, work this hard, and and for just, you know, a hangnail to keep him out of the NCAA tournament. I refuse to believe that. I I just don't. And so the speculation and, you know, it it says a lot by our culture. You know, P.J. Washington's dad, like, hey, you know, please have some compassion for my son. And people are like, ha, 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 no, I need this T-shirt from when my team was a championship. That's a little bad. I don't think it's as prevalent (laughs) as maybe – uh, you know, media folks put it out there. It is out there. I've seen it. You've probably seen it as well. There are folks like that. Uh, but I'm not going to demand too much of these, these kids because they are kids. I'm off my soapbox for right now, but uh, I hope that P.J. plays. Uh, you know, honestly, I haven't seen Houston. I can't even comment on what they might look like, you know. But if we can get by with Houston with just, you know, P.J. trying to get his rhythm back, then I really like, you know, what, you know, what this team is capable of. Remember, uh, a healthy P.J., a healthy Reed, this team won like 16 out of 18 games. Like, our ceiling is exceedingly high with these two healthy guys. So um, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, the, the chance of getting them back and, and everything like that. And I'm going to say this right before, uh, before Aaron comes on. And this isn't the case with every player. This isn't the case with family members of every player. That's going to vary and be different. And sometimes rightfully so, sometimes out of line, the fan base is going to feel however they're going to feel about said player and said family members. You know, the perception and the vibe around Vanderbilt is totally different than the vibe surrounding PJ. The what you get or hear or, or perceive or discern from Jerry Vanderbilt's family different from PJ Washington's family. His dad was a coach forever. His dad knows the drill, and seemingly has been pretty honest, been pretty straight up in his two years at Kentucky. You know, sometimes he'll be on, you know, Larry Vault 
filling in with Tom Leach will have PJ's dad on, and they'll, you know, chop it up and seem to be pretty close. They said last year, well, we're going to go see and test the waters of the NBA, and if it, you know, don't hit a news one here, we're going to be back. There was anxiety about that, as it always is when, you know, basketball season ends in Kentucky and the transition from outgoing class, incoming, incoming class. They tested the water, got the information they needed, processed that information, came back, TJ's going to work on his game, and we've seen the improvement in his game in year two. They haven't really given – all I'm saying is they haven't really given a reason for anybody to be like you said. You know, he didn't come back and do all this work for a hangnail. His family hasn't given any reason for everybody to kind of get all – nervous and being out of shape about them just, you know, not caring about UK. They do, but of course they're going to be uh, cautious and protective of his future as well, but it's not like they're just trying to be shady with it and, and just, you know, you know, screw UK. It's not, it's not like they're giving off some kind of little seedy type vibe. You don't have to make any kind of sense. That was some rambling, babbling stuff. But I'm just saying the perceptions of those situations are different, and that's always going to be the case. But they've been straight up, in a nutshell, in his two years here. Well, and, and, and you see some of the people like, well, you know, he's just saying that because it's his son. Yes, that's your job. His, you know, <laughs> exactly. Paul Washington Sr., yes, it's, your, it, it's his son. I mean, right. I, so I, this behavior that – and, and, and like I said, it's not like he's coming off like a, a LeVar ball or one of these other kind of, uh, uh, you know, these stage moms, these stage parents. I, I just don't see how you can say how someone's concern about their son is somehow disingenuous or they're somehow exactly. being dupl- duplicitous. I'm, I'm breaking out the story right. here. But, Man, you, hit <laughs> I mean, you hit him with that one. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm thinking about, you know, you got you got kids, I've got kids, and, uh, you know, uh, Big Miss is out here playing uh, lacrosse with her eighth-grade team. She's a seventh-grader, so she's out there, and, and she gets she gets banged up. I want what's best for her. Like, I want your team to do well. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm all in. But at the end of the day, when the team goes away and the fans go away, I'm still my child. So that supersedes everything. That that really yeah. does, and I think the Washingtons have handled this extremely well. Because if it's on me, pardon my language, but I'm gonna tell a lot of these fans, y'all can go to hell. This is my kid. When you have moved on to the next McDonald's All American, you moved on. That's still my son. So I think they've handled that well. I don't think there's been any of this supposed back and forth that people have said. I haven't seen it, but uh, I'm excited because again, most people, and if you look. Uh, the Kyle Tuckers and Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country and, and, and Randy Newman of Big Blue Express. A lot of those, we're saying the same thing, that I don't think Cal, I don't think PJ, I don't think his family would have put the video they did today out there if they didn't think that he was going to play. Exactly. And we're going to keep all this going. Should get for a little bit, but jump right back into it. Because, as we mentioned earlier, uh, our guest is on the line coming to us from northern Kentucky. He owns 
Huff Law Office. Been a friend of the show for a good little bit. On with us now, we have none other than Mr. Aaron Huff. Aaron, welcome to the show. How you doing? Appreciate you hopping on with us. Doing good, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for jumping on, man. Go Cubs, right? Yes, sir. Go Cubs, go. That's right. <laughs> Open the day, Uh-oh. baby, coming up. Boy. I'll tell you, up here wow. in Cincinnati, like the Cincinnati area, opening day tomorrow is a holiday. I mean, it, I'm not a Reds fan, but my the rest of my family, I've lost the kids to Jenny's, uh, uh, you know, the suggestion that they should be Reds fans because this is where we live now and all this stuff. But, you know, they, they followed her into their fandom. And, uh well, we hit a lot of Reds games up here just by virtue of it being pretty close. And um, the the opening day stuff up here, if you've never gone to it, and even if you're not a Reds fan, it's it's a pretty awesome day. Um, the whole city basically shuts down. Like most of the people that that have offices in downtown or northern Kentucky are closed tomorrow. Not me. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm plugging away because I, I choose to take my uh, – off days this time of year for the opening weekend of, of the NCAA tournament. I, I shut down that Thursday and Friday just to have wall-to-wall basketball. But, uh, you know, I've, I've gone to opening day before in the past and everything. It's fun. But, uh, you know, for me, the best time is always when the Cubs are in town because then I can talk trash to the rest of the family. But um, <laughs> it, it's uh, – it's it's a fun time up here whenever uh, baseball starts back up. As far as uh, I, I've, yeah. I've been listening in to you guys, um, you know, as far as like the PJ Washington situation with the, the foot and everything, I agree with you guys. I I don't I don't question PJ's toughness at all. The kid played with a broken hand. Come on, um, you know he's he's more than proven his toughness factor. And as a matter of fact. The thing that worried me the most was that this hurt him bad enough that he said he couldn't play. And I thought to myself when when that news hit, this is really bad and he may not come back because you're you're looking at a kid who played through, you know, his shooting hand being broken for the a good portion of the season last year. And if he could make it through a, a large portion of the season like that, uh, an injury that has him sidelined, you know, and in a cast especially, I was like, oh, no. Um, looking at how today has transpired, the uh, I, I have to say the the refresh rate for Big Blue Nation <laughs> over the last 20, 24 hours <laughs> might actually – the people may have been watching their phones and computers and everything – more than any day since the day everybody watched the stupid door waiting for Calipari to come out and uh, you know, <laughs> sitting online saying, is he, is he our coach or not? I can't think of another time where people have had this long of a stretch for the fan base where you're looking into, is, is everything going our way or is everything not going our way? Um, the the videos that, that were posted, I agree with TB. It, it if you're going to throw that stuff out there, then you're you're kind of – if he doesn't play, people are going to start thinking back to, you know, with with the Reed Travis thing there for a little bit. They put a little playful video out um, where he was talking to a classroom of kids, and one of the kids 
asked, hey, when are you coming back? And he smiled and started answering, and the video goes to fuzz. And uh, I thought, well, that you know that, that that was cute and playful, but it had everybody thinking, oh, he's going to play tonight. And then he doesn't play, and then he doesn't play the next game. And now you it, and, you know, if, if you're going to – oh, go ahead. Now, I was like, yeah, you and I disagreed a little bit about that because I don't put a whole lot of stock in those little cutesy videos. But rewatching it, I'm rethinking that, and I'm joining you on this, which is why I think, yeah, I, I've, I've changed my mind. I looked at, you know, I, I, I reexamined a few things. Vinny, Vinny's chuckling here, but you can't put that out there, even though Cal had kind of, you know, given the whole timeline for Reed Travis return. You can't put that out there because it really does, you know, it, it, it kind it, of muddies it causes questions. Hey, is the timeline you know shorter than what we thought it was going to be? Is he coming back tonight? And everybody gets excited about it, and then it just turns out no, it's just being playful and cute. If that turns out to be the case here with this video, with you know, hey, look, it's PJ's feet and they're walking, and then mm-hmm. on this Friday night we look at PJ and he's in a boot sitting on the the side, you know, sitting sitting off to the side on the bench, not playing. I think immediately the entirety of the fan base is going to go back and say, Jared Vanderbilt, oh, he's going to play any day now. Reed Travis, we put this video out making it look like he could play any time now. P.J. Washington, we put a video out making you think he's going to play, and he's not. And you know, the official statement, I think Kyle Tucker might, might have tweeted out earlier um, that he had reached out to the athletics department because he had been told that a statement would be made today, and their response was, you saw P.J.'s tweet, nothing more needs to be said. And it's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, it, that's not answering the question, and actually, it's inferring one thing pretty heavily, and it's the thing that most people are going to go to. So if you turn around and it turns out that, now, well, he's not playing, he's not going to be, he's not better, then that's that's a whole lot of of a frustrated fan base that has seen a, a pattern at that point, and I think they they don't react well to it. I know to me it'll it would rub me wrong if I if it turns out to be the case, but I'm not exactly going to be like jumping ship over it or anything. But I certainly won't trust anything that comes out if a player's injured going forward. I'll just assume they're done, and it leaves a bad, move on. Bad taste in your mouth. Leave a bad taste yeah, in your mouth. Yeah, it does. Going forward, I guess. But yeah, and this, I am extremely and there's a track record. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm extremely hopeful that he's he's coming back for sure. I mean, I'm fingers crossed. You know, we're we're gonna stomp Houston, and then I I truly think that we need him to get past UNC. Uh, the 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 defense is there, like TV and and like well, like you and you and TV were saying, Vinny, the the defense was there. The offense, we need that extra piece and. I would love to see Nick Richards come on or, you know, EJ Montgomery come on and, and play a little bit more offensively than what they have been, but it's just not there yet. Now it could be there. I mean, in, in another year from now, those two could be monsters, but I just don't think that they have the, uh, the, the, the mixed game between Reed Travis and PJ Washington where, when the two of them are on the floor, 
we own the front court. And it wears the other team's front court down so badly that you can send in Nick Richards. You can send in E.J. Montgomery. And they can pick up, you know, just the the points and uh, the rebounds and everything that, that occur from those guys already being worn down. But they don't have the – they don't have the connection, I think, offensively that the other two have at this time. And that, that's something well, that could develop. But Well, and for me, the biggest thing is when you've got Reed and PJ, you have to – you have, they command a double team. Or at the very least, the other front court player has to be aware of when the entry pass goes in. Right now, like you're saying, Aaron, you can single cover EJ. You can single cover Nick. And that's and where our fine. offense gets stagnant. Yeah, our offense yeah. gets stagnant. And, and that's when Keldon runs into problems because he can only do so much because the, the lane is clogged. If you look at his I mean, drive, look how much – Yeah. Just look how much better PJ even was when Reed Travis was healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Reed Travis is absolutely. out for that stretch of time, and PJ becomes the only guy that they know to double. And, you know, at, at that point, the – the inside-out game where, you know, you have two big men that can feed it to one another down there, it, it just yeah. disappeared. Mm-hmm. And there, but, there was a few times where they had openings and the pass was made and, and Nick fumbled it or wasn't ready to catch it and just, just little things that throws, throws all the timing off. And then, as you mentioned, it, it just bogs the entire offense down. And I, I, I've got faith that Nick's going to get it. I think next year that's that's his year where everything clicks finally. But right now it's, it's like you said the, the fumbleitis sometimes when when a pass is coming to him that it's kind of like yeah I mean it, bas- if you had higher basketball IQ I think probably foresee that hey they could, you know Hero could wrap this pass around and hit me right here for an open dunk. Um, yeah. It's it's like it's not clicking for him just yet. When it does, he's going to be a just an absolute animal. But you know, every now and again they'll they'll throw a pass to him and it looks like oh he didn't see that coming, but everybody else did. You know, and the defense just collapses yeah. because it it gives them that split second. But um, he's still me, waiting for it. He's still thinking instead of just flowing out there. He's still thinking and yeah, processing just, just it. You can see him yeah. thinking in the regimented phases instead of just flowing. But it, it exactly. reminds me of, of, a, of a guy our age uh, of Nazi Muhammad who when he oh, came yeah. on campus in 96 and 97 mm-hmm. wasn't prepared to do anything. Right? I remember just looking at some exhibition games and I remember <clears> in 96 they had the uh, JV squad and Nazi Muhammad was big and tall but couldn't catch a cold you know, in Alaska in <laughs> December. But he and even '97 still looked raw. But '98, you know, we don't hang that banner, and 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 unless Nazi's doing what he did, so I'm still seeing that progression. You know, I, I think we've been spoiled seeing a lot of guys, you know, arrive on campus ready to go as freshmen, and then have that sophomore uh, leap. But I think Nick Richards is that throwback to those guys where hey, it's a three or four year plan to watch this guy finally get it and i'm with you aaron i think you know next year that could be the big year but right now <laughs> I, I don't think right now either he or EJ is be like absolutely yeah. absolutely just a work in progress and and it's it's mm-hmm. great 
when you've got both PJ and Reed out there, you know, for the majority of the game, really, like I said, wearing down that front line, and then these guys come in with fresh legs, and they're able to get a, a few good plays in, you know, a couple dunks here or there, like when, you know, Nick just really attacks the rim. It, it's awesome. Um, you know, the rebounding, you know, EJ's in there, you know, getting boards left and right. Those things are, are great, and it's, and it's progressing these guys, but it's all part of the – they're really going to click at some point, and it's probably about a year from now. But yeah. they're still just getting there. They're still learning the learning the ropes, so to speak. But, you know, one of the things also, uh, going back to the PJ thing, that I thought was a little odd, but uh, I think it, it goes along the lines that we're getting just enough to make me think that – um, I'm being optimistic that he's going to play. Is all of a sudden we get a drop today that he was he's in Wisconsin with a, a foot doctor that I think, I, if I read the right uh, the right article or, or whatever the right tweet that was talking about it, a uh, foot doctor up here that that handles like the Green Bay Packers. It's considered the best foot doctor in the country for this type of situation. And if they said this was the second time he's been up there. This is the first that I've ever seen of it online. I don't know if anybody else had already known that he'd been up there to Wisconsin to have it worked on or looked at. But why would we be given that much information about, you know, the treatment, where he is and everything, unless it's a sign that, well, maybe something is progressing. Maybe it looks good. Oh, I I agree with you. I think – the way UK has handled these injuries over the last few years, I, I'm in total agreement that it's just been, at some point, it's been a stone-cold silence like we got with Reed for a little bit. Then you have the stage where you get the cutesy videos, and then you get a notice that, you know, this player's seen a specialist, this player's seen a specialist. My gripe would be, if you're going to play your cards like that, play it all the time. You know, yeah. like with, uh, with the Patriots, like, Everybody, all the everybody on the fifty-three man roster, you know, is on the injury report. If you're going to be one way, be that <laughs> way all the time, because it, uh, if you don't, it sends confusing messages. And everybody knows this isn't the fan base that handles uncertainty well at all. Uh, are, are you saying that? Are you saying that we're an anxiety-riddled fan base there, TB? I, I think so. I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, this stuff, this cloak and dagger stuff, may fly in Durham. It may fly Chapel Hill. You know, you can do whatever you want to out in UCLA and Westwood, but with this fan base that soaks up every little nugget of information, you know, everybody's got a cousin in Lexington that's all the basketball player X do something. I mean, you've got to be very careful with how you're delivering that message. It's almost like a political operation at that point where you've got to be very careful with how you, you put that message out there. So I, I definitely agree with you there. Sure. We're talking with Aaron Huff, owns the Huff Law Office up in Florence, Kentucky. First of all, Aaron, can't have you on without just saying thank you for advertising on the show. Definitely appreciate that and, and tuning in and supporting the show. Um, grateful for that. So thank you for that, sir. Oh, not a problem at all. More than happy. And got a flip just for a second and, and – Flip to the law office for a moment. Just uh, how long have you how long have you had it there in Florence, and 
were you the young kid that were were you like debating your parents? Did they see you being a lawyer when you were seven, or did this kind of hit you? You know, in high school, uh, going into college, how did how did it all come about to where you're at this point now? I uh, I actually have an uncle that's that's an attorney uh, that you know he he married into the family. He married my aunt Debbie, and um, I kind of watched what he did and everything. I liked what what he did, and, and it became kind of a goal for me around high school, I think, to to really, you know, hit down the, head down the path to become an attorney. The the end, end result of what I do, for the most part, I do a little bit of, a little bit of injury work, but not a whole lot. Um, most of what he did was litigation work like that and injury and, and stuff like that stuff like that, but I settled into, you know, a majority of my practice is bankruptcy work and financial work, and it was pretty accidental. Um, you know, I uh, have a finance degree from UK and, and uh, finance and economics, and then when I came out, went to law school in northern Kentucky and went through, finished up, up up here and ended up staying up here because the area is pretty nice. I like it. Um, the, the path that took me to, you know, bankruptcy practice was a little bit different because I started off working with an attorney who did a lot of injury work and a lot of litigation and, and wound my way through as he was retiring, I I ran into a, an opportunity of either you could keep, you know, taking cases and hand them off to me, or I could start, you know, looking around to find something else, which I didn't have just starting out the bankroll that you really need to be able to to fund some of the upfront costs that come along with injury litigation. So I started working for another firm doing some, some work on a, a class action that dealt with some hedge funds and all kinds of extremely boring stuff where I, I sat and I was just, just dead from the mundane aspect of it. And um, a friend of mine that went to law school with me asked me if I had thought about, you know, practicing bankruptcy law ever. And I said, no, I, you know, I'd never really given it thought. And, uh, you know, there are litigation elements where you're back in the courtroom and you get to argue and everything, but then, you know, it's a, a, a type of law where you legitimately see good results for the, the clients that bleed over into, you know, a, a very noticeable element of, of the practice. So, you know, people feel relief from it. I've seen people that were even suicidal that, that came in that didn't realize that, hey, this is all fixable. And, you know, there are different chapters of bankruptcy that all do different things. Uh, people, a lot of people don't realize you can stop a foreclosure with a bankruptcy case and restructure the, the loan so that you catch it up and save your home. Um, I, I filed a case for someone actually two weeks ago that uh, – or no, just a week ago where we filed the case – literally the evening before the foreclosure sale and it stopped it and they they got to save their home so they're they're restructuring and they're paying their rearage back and everything um you can fix tax problems with it you can fix uh you know vehicle debt is a big one a lot of people roll you know one vehicle into another into another and they don't realize that the way some of these financing agreements work they're not really paying that other vehicle off so you know, you, you keep stacking debt on top of debt on top of debt until you eventually have a, a loan that is paying off a vehicle 
that's twice what the value of the vehicle is. So, you know, at a, a certain point in in the uh, the life of the loan, if you filed a, a restructuring, you can actually restructure that and fix that loan. But uh, you know, a number of different things that that are helpful for folks. And then I see a, a, a good result for my clients whenever you know they come in and meet with me. It's it's nice in that element. It's not family law practice where everybody hates one another. And uh, generally, you have somebody hit the door that is angry that they just gave something up, and it's just like, you know, that's unfortunately the the niche itself gives rise to that, and, and you know, the, it's, it usually leaves the client un, unhappy or angry one or the other. I don't have to deal with that. I deal a lot of uh, the cleanup work after divorces. I have a number of, of divorce attorneys who will send their clients to me to fix the financial end on the back end of it and everything. So, it's a. I actually like what I do, so you know there's there's an something to be said for going to work and actually enjoying what you do instead of sitting there and and uh, twiddling your thumbs and and hating it. But uh, I've been off on my own since 2011. I opened my own practice back then. I had been with a bigger firm doing bankruptcy work from I believe it was late 2006 till then, and. Uh, been off and running ever since. I take cases still. I, I grew up in Corbin, uh, so I, I still have plenty of family down there, and and I take cases down there in London Division, which gets me back home to see mom and dad and and uh, and you know my aunts and uncles and cousins and everything pretty often. And they they like to have me, you know, present every now and again down there. But um, you know, I take cases down there. I take plenty of cases up here for Covington division because bankruptcy is federal work. You have these divisions that cover several of the counties. So I cover most of the Eastern district of Kentucky, which is the whole Eastern half of the state. If you drew a line just East of Louisville and went straight down, um, wow. you know, the, the, the divisions that I practice in are, are Covington, Lexington, Frankfurt, London, I will take an occasional case in Ashland, but that is a that's a bit of a haul for me. And you know, I don't have the justification of saying, yeah, I can visit family while I'm there, kind of deal. But um, the only division that I I haven't taken any cases in would be Pikeville because it's just it's too difficult for me to get down there to handle that. It would it would take a whole day away, and versus you know scheduling things. In, in some of the other divisions, it's not a bad drive. It's just down and back. We talk with Aaron Huff, Huff Law Office, uh, Facebook.com slash Huff Law Office on Twitter at Huff Law Office, website Huff, uh, HuffLaw.org. Oh, HuffLawOffice.org. So you can still service the eastern part of the state even without oh, yeah. going to Pikeville and Ashland. You can still you know, and taking up those drives, you still take care of business on that half of the state. Exactly, exactly. Um, the you know, the the number of counties that that I have you know active clients in is is pretty voluminous for the eastern half of the state. But um, you know, as far as like the the consultations, I don't charge for consults. Sometimes people will call me and and they really they don't need a bankruptcy. Uh, when you sit down, you look at it and you can piece together you know, hey, have you tried this yet? Or, you know, you're not really to the point where you know, you're at the level where you need to file. You should try, you know, 
maybe this angle, or you should try, you know, that angle. And and you try to to work somebody into what's best for them and what's best to take care of their situation because, you know, even if they don't use you for a case, they're more apt to tell somebody else, hey, call this guy, he knows what he's talking about. He's just, he's not just, uh, you know, gunning for numbers. It's, it's uh, you know, a, at least an informative consultation where you see what your options are, and then you can kind of go from there. I'm going to just read a review from your Facebook page. The client gave you five stars, and then it's, and look, us all being the age we are, we might sound, I might sound, get off my lawnish, I might sound old-fashioned when I say this, y'all are going to know what I'm talking about as soon as I say it. But it says, Aaron was caring and professional, taking us through a rough situation. I would recommend his services to anyone in a similar situation. So you have these individuals, this family, this person who came in, consulted with you, visited with you, may have taken multiple times for you to get them through the situation they were in. But after it was all over, he still felt that he was cared for and treated in a professional, caring manner. And, look, that sounds old-fashioned, but all three of us know and have went into the grocery store and dealt with, it doesn't have to be a young person, dealt with a, a person that behind the register that's been a knot on the log and couldn't care less that we were there, but they did not feel that way when they left your office. So that was a roundabout way for me to say that, but our parents taught us, you know, treat people right. That's what you did, and it stuck with these individuals. That's why they wrote it, this glowing review on your Facebook page. Exactly, and and you know a lot of it is you know you, you treat people like you want to be treated. I mean that they're already there. They, they, you typically don't go to an attorney because you you got some good stuff going on, unless you're that uh, guy down in South Carolina who hit the massive lottery, which <laughs> fingers crossed will be one of us tonight. Um, that's right. Yeah, that that's the rare occasion where somebody's like dancing into an attorney's office saying, "Hey, help me out with this great problem." Um, you know, most of the time when people come in to see, uh, it's because something is off the rails for them and something's gone wrong and you got to be aware of that. You know, when, when they come in, they're not, they're, they're looking for somebody who can give them an answer, but also somebody that's going to not look down on them or not, you know, treat them like they don't matter. You want to make sure that when somebody comes into the office, they leave with a feeling that hey, you know, I feel better after talking to this guy. And the, the name of the game is really to point out to, to people, I always end every consultation by telling somebody that comes in and meets with me, even if you don't use me, don't let this stuff stress you out because your health is a lot more difficult to fix than your finances are. This is fixable. Finances are always fixable. And, and uh, you know, at least take that to heart and let some of the stress kind of come off of you. And I think people appreciate that. I think when they leave, you know, I've had more than one person who's actually said that, you know, when they leave that they already felt better about their situation. And, uh, you know, I, I like to, to try to focus on people like that. Just to, it, to me, I was always taught to, to be nice to, to, to people. And, and, you know, it doesn't make sense to, to, uh, you know, make a, a situation that's already stressful any more stressful. If, if you do that, that's the type of person who's not going to get any referrals. <laughs> so, 
Exactly. Exactly. I'm gonna ask y'all this. This random thought just hit me. Then we'll get back to some more sports talk. Um, but you know, we've all, like I mentioned, had that person that was apathetic or maybe they're having some drama at that particular moment when they're waiting on us, but we end up being on the receiving end of whatever they're dealing with, which is not professional for somebody that's working with the public and having to deal with customers. How do you all do when you're dealing with somebody or somebody that's supposed to be treating you professionally because we're the customer, isn't doing their job well, isn't not on the law, they don't speak, they're apathetic. Do you guys just become a not on the law with them, or do you get upset? There's times where it'll upset me, but I will say, I'm going to make them speak, I'm going to make them talk, I'm going to make them do what they should do. And then at the end, they loosen up and they're kind of the way they should have been from the get-go. So, Aaron, Terry, how did you guys handle that? Just randomly talking, because it happens to all of us. Not, more often than I, not, I, how did you guys react when y'all had that? I, I usually try to find a way to relate to somebody. I mean, you know, if, if somebody's having a bad day and they're they're you know in a bad mood or whatever, there's uh, I'm not going to let it bring me down. I'm going to try to Right. Try to stay positive for them, and try to just find anything that can talk to them to to relate to them about. Um, you know, there was a guy who was in my office recently that you know was in for a consultation, but um, you know he was clearly stressed out and just not not in the best of moods because of it. So, um, you know, it turned into a a situation of well, how do I get you? onto, you know, like a, a better mindset, a better frame of mind so that we can actually get this thing done. And he was wearing a, a random T-shirt of a band. And I'm like, all right, this guy likes music. So then I started talking about music. It's just completely something not related to why he was even in the office. But he appreciated it. You know, he it, it kind of steered it to where, oh, well, now I'm a little more relaxed and talking and everything. And then and then I turned it back into the consultation, you know, after, you know, his, his anxiety levels had, had gone down a little bit, but, um, you know, there, there are creative ways that you can get people just to, to start talking about something that they're comfortable about talking, you know, yeah. something that they're comfortable about talking to you about. And that leads to, you know, actual productivity and getting something done that you really need to get done with them. But, you know, the main thing is, yeah, I, I try not to let somebody drag me down if they're in that kind of a funk because, unfortunately, like I said, people don't typically hit my door happy. You know, they, they usually show up because they're they're stressed out about the situation and everything, and then it's just a game to to sit down and show them, hey, this is fixable and we can get you on a, a better path. And and uh, so there, there's a good bit of that in my day, unfortunately, but – Exactly. What about you, TB? Same thing? Or... You got you, TB? We've lost TB. There he is. There he is. Can you hear me? There we yeah. go. Yeah, you had me, had me on mute. 
on my own show. But I don't even But I used to be more combative in my younger days, like I think a lot of us were. But now I realize, you know, that person that's having that bad day, whether that's the cashier at the grocery store or you're at the DMV, uh, is that saying that there are a lot of people dealing with a lot of things that you don't have any, you don't know about. You know, you don't know what that person is dealing with before they get to that point. Now, I'm not going to let somebody disrespect me and all that kind of stuff, especially if I'm paying money. I'm not going to let that happen. But I tend to give people a little bit more leeway than I did in my 20s. You know, now, you know, we're some old guys. Now I've, you know, I've, and and it helps that you've got your own kids that you have to try to model good behavior after. And I don't want to be, you know, the yeller, the screamer and all that kind of stuff in front of my kids. So that kind of put me in a different, uh, in a different position, uh, if you will. But uh, like, like Aaron would say, like you, you just, you, if you're depends on where you are. Like I've worked in customer service. I've, you know, I work in the IT field. People don't call the IT service desk because their computer is running great, right? People don't mm-hmm. go to the lawyer's office exactly. unless you're winning the lottery. You know, people don't. People aren't seeing you, you know, on their best day. I mean, you guys know my dad was a police officer for 30 years, and my brother joined um, when I was in high school. And the first thing he told my dad told my brother was like, "You have to understand." No one calls the police to say hi. It's never a good interaction. <laughs> so he said, if it bothers you that somebody is, is, is short and is curt, it, you know, then this isn't the job for you because you're going to see people, you know, in these vulnerable situations. So that's what I try to understand now is, you know, I don't know if that, that, that clerk at the grocery store has is, is got a test she's studying for or what have you, I try to, uh, you know, you, you guys follow me on Twitter. I try to bring some humor to something so we're all kind of on the same page. That's how I attack that. Absolutely. So, yeah, just random thoughts. I just threw that out there. Um, <laughs> jumping back to some sports, we got Aaron Huff with us, Huff Law Office. If your finances are rough, you definitely got to call Huff. First of all, too, we saw the picture on Twitter of the billboard, and so we got to ask where where that is too. That was pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if I have a billboard. If I do, that's news to me. Um, I have. Uh, oh, I, was, I did have it. I, it was a car. I've got a TV commercial oh. that's up here. Oh. Um, okay. But yeah, I've got a, I've got a TV commercial that, that airs up here that. Uh, Every now and again, we'll, we'll play. Uh, the good thing is I've, I've gotten in good with somebody who does some marketing stuff for the CBS affiliate up here, which means you know I get to throw my commercial on every now and again for, for UK games and everything. And, and you know, during football season, during some of the CBS uh, featured football games, I was throwing throwing my commercial on everything, and um, uh, it it was. Interesting. It was a lot different than what I expected it to be. Uh, they put up a, like a mobile studio in my office, and uh, they're like, "What you see on on the screen is like one of the walls in my office that's behind me." But what you don't see is there's like this crazy contraption that they built all around me with lights all over it. And 
So I'm, I'm standing there and, and I'm going through this thing. It's only a 15 second commercial, but I literally read off the thing probably about 80 times. And a, you know, a couple of times, like I'm just kind of laughing through it and everything. And, and there was one take and I thought, oh, it did great. And and the producer looks at me and says, don't smile. And I'm like, what? And I didn't even know I was smiling. And uh, like. Yeah, people aren't going to be – you shouldn't look happy that people are, are coming in for, you know, the reasons they're coming in. I'm like, well, I'm happy. That's how I make my, my money. But, uh, you know, from <laughs> the standpoint of, of I guess it doesn't play well in a commercial, sure, or whatever. I'll try to make it look a little more, you know, solemn, I guess. But but uh, it, it's kind of fun. I, I, I was on during the the last – Cats game against the the Vols in the regular season, and um, it was funny. We, my wife and I, with a couple of friends, went out to a sports bar, and um, we're sitting there like just watching the game. And all of a sudden, I come on and like twenty heads just spin and looked at me, and they're like, "It's that guy." And I'm like, hey, that's me. "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right." So maybe I saw the screenshot of your TV commercial. And I just yeah, and I, on Twitter thought I, I was like, man, it has got a billboard, man. That's what I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, now, no billboards, it, no billboards. The, the TV guys, commercial was. Uh, oh, go ahead. Now I was gonna say that you you've got you've got kids and they're involved in all kinds of activities that we can oh, see yeah, and, and everything. So and, and we're all in that same boat, I think. So what That's kind right, of, man. What kind kids of kids run you? our lives. We are we are literally <laughs> we are literally at the the beck and call of our kids, you know, activities and stuff. And it, it, it's it's fun though. I, I don't complain. Now, are you are you coaching? Are you you know kind of in the stands cheering or what kind of role do you? Because I do a little bit of uh, everything. I do a little bit it, of both. It's a mix. It's a mix. Like my my daughter, her thing. When she was little, she tried a little bit of everything, and um, you know we we were like, hey, you know, whatever you want to play, let's try it out, you know. And and um, so she tried the soccer thing, and and um, you know wasn't wasn't the best, and um, just kind of did her own thing out on the field. So for that that one, we were like, okay, maybe not this one. And then um, in basketball, she said, I want to try to play basketball, so. We let her try to play basketball, and then the thing that kind of clued us in that that's probably not going to happen was she uh, she said, "Hey, come out here and and look, I choreographed something." And like and we were like, oh, "Okay, that's not how this works." And then, uh, <laughs> and uh, she's doing like a little dance out there, but you know she she has done dance her whole life basically since she was really little, and she's really good at it. I'm I'm I, I'm proud of her. She, she does a great job. Um, she was on a studio team for a number of years, and she's on Nile High School's dance team up here, and uh, is a junior this year. They won state in uh, in in jazz and came in runners up in in hip hop for for the state. So I mean, it was a good year for them. And uh, she, uh, yeah, she loves it. She does a great job with it, and you know she says that she she has interest in continuing to to do you know like dance team stuff once she goes to college which you know right now she's she's gung-ho about going to uk which would be great and uh i I wouldn't complain at all stay in state thank you very much but now um 
you know, the uh, you know her her whole sphere is is dance related. Everything is is you know twenty four seven dance and and uh, I used to spend weekends you know going to these these dance competitions where the studio dance competitions for the last couple of years and, and she didn't dance with the studio this year. This is the first year she decided not to, but um, like last year and the year before last, she was doing both the high school team and the studio team and the studio competitions had us sitting over like every weekend right during this time of year, which is a nightmare for, you know, people that, that live and die for basketball. So we would have like literally in between the dances, we would sit out in the lobby and like stream from our phones onto an iPad and watch like the SEC tournament and stuff like that. And it was, it was always comical. People would come over and be like, what are you guys doing? Oh, you guys are watching basketball. Yeah. I mean, they're not dancing for another hour. So we're, we're watching this game. And um, so, you know, the, uh, this year with, with her sticking to just Ryle's theme, you know, the competitions and everything wrapped up before tournament time, which is kind of a nice difference from the last couple of years. But, um, you know, I've got twin boys as well. Um, the, the gruesome twosome, they're, they're into pretty much every sport you can think of. I mean, they, they, uh, they play soccer. Um, you know, they, they play basketball. They, they play tennis. They play football. Uh, I, I'm a assistant coach on the football team that they play for, which is, been kind of fun to to do that in the last couple of years and um you know we've we've got a good little team like the the group that they play with they're all good kids they're all uh you know buddies i mean this past weekend you know one of them had a birthday party and all the, the football buddies were there um the weekend before they had a sleepover birthday party it was all the football buddies and, and it's kind of like that team is developing like a, a real tighten it since of camaraderie so it's kind of fun to watch all of them kind of grow together and and be friends like that but um it's a good team it, it's it, it was a fun year this past year we got we got knocked out unfortunately in the semifinals and the playoffs and and uh hopefully next year we can make it to the championship game but but uh it's it's fun like i i, I do enjoy the insanity of being over the top busy following the kids around because you only have it for so long, you know, and then I'm I'm afraid once the, even after next year, when when Haley graduates, that element of it, just losing the dance side of it, we're going to feel like, where does all this time come from? And (laughs) it'll be kind of boring, but but uh, it, it's it's fun. I I see uh, the lacrosse pictures, you know, often on your NTV, and uh, that, that seems like a fun fun adventure, except for the cold element of it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing outside, and last Friday night was 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 cold once the sun went down. But it's one of those things. Uh, and she, uh, my oldest is doing lacrosse. She's playing up with the eighth graders, and I'm like, "Hey, if I'm gonna sit out in this cold." I said, "You got to show me something. You got to get out there and hustle." But there was that moment, <laughs> and, and you guys know what I'm talking about, where oh, she yeah. scored her goal, and she scanned the crowd. We made that eye contact, and for that split moment, you're just like, "Yeah, okay, I'm I'm okay with this." You know, it's all it sounds cliche, but at that point, you're like, 
okay, it's all worth it. Okay, yeah, we're good. We're we're good to go here, uh, and everything. So it does it does uh, it does absolutely keep you busy. But it's a good busy. It is a good busy to kind of coordinate with all oh, the yeah. activities. Yeah, it was it was fun. This this yeah. football season we we spanned from blazing hot at the very beginning of the, because it it's pretty intensive. It starts in uh, mid July and it runs all the way through beginning of October. And uh, mm-hmm. so you know the scrimmages and games at the very beginning you're like burning alive. And then our game in the semifinals where we got knocked out, it was first thing in the morning and there were snow flurries and. Uh, yeah. It, it was just like, well, yeah, the, it was uncomfortable, but you're watching your kids play, you don't really feel it as much because, you know, they have those big moments and you get fired up for them. And, and uh, like Nathan, uh, Nathan is uh, he's quarterback for the team and his brother is one of the, the running backs. And then on defense, uh, you know, they, they both started both sides of the ball. Um, Nathan was, uh, they both started off as corners on defense and then, at one point in the season, as things were going along, one of our defensive ends was retreating on a couple of plays, and Braden came up to me and was just like, "Put me over there. I'll I'll push through and I'll get into it." And uh, so it was kind of fun seeing him like step up and say, "I want this role." And you know, we put him in, and he's not the biggest kid in the world, but man, he got in the backfield a lot. So we just yeah. left him there, and uh, <laughs> so it. it you know, it's fun to, to see those those moments when your kids get fired up about stuff, and even if the the temperature isn't the the best, you you kind of just let it let it ride because you don't even feel it. Well, that's definitely good stuff with with your boys, and congratulations to your daughter um, on dance with the wins they got. And I also backtrack now because didn't mention it last week, but. From the basketball standpoint, congratulations to the Louisville Trinity boys who won the Sweet 16 and also to the Ryle girls right there where you are, Aaron, because they did the same thing on the girls' side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big moment up here for everybody. It was fun. And down there in Rupp Arena and and just took care of business, made the red through all comers and brought the trophy and the parade and everything back up to Northern Kentucky. So cool deal there. I'm a glutton for punishment, so I'm going to go ahead and jump in here with you guys because sometimes too frequently we've had 49ers fans who come on to the show uh, (laughs) with Terry Brown. So I see that you're a 49ers and a Bengals fan, and, and Terry became a 49ers fan because of the Bengals fans. So how do you do both? And are you more Niners, more Bengals? Let's, let's just go ahead and get I, I am that. 100% more Niners than Bengals, 100%. I, I, when I grew up in southeastern Kentucky, the the time frame where, I, you know, I was growing up down there, you only got the, the game of the day down there. We were out of the TV bubble um for any local team. So, you know, we're out of the, the TV bubble for the Bengals. We're out of the TV bubble for the, the you know, Falcons. And, the you know, Carolina wasn't even around. And um, it was the the time of the dominant period for the Niners and everything. So I grew up literally that was the game that you got to watch. So I became a, you know, 
big time Niners fan, you know, Jerry Rice, the greatest of all time. And, uh, you know, yes, sir. Joe Montana. And then, um, that's right. Yes, and then, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we went from one great quarterback to another with Steve Young. And, and back then with, uh, with, um, Ronnie Lott on defense, Roger Craig, all these guys, man, like that was, uh, you know, growing up, that was my team. So I stuck with them. <laughs> I stuck with them through some really bad years um, in uh, recent memory. But we're, we're we've climbed out of of that to where it's you know back to somewhat at least respectable in the years that are down, but but not quite bad. The Bengals are a whole different story. I moved up here, and uh, it's kind of a almost like a a, a fandom of convenience because I moved to the area and I'm like, they're an AFC team, you know. I'll cheer for them unless they're playing the Niners, which only happens in the Super Bowl or once every three or four years. So I can get away with with cheering for both. But man, it is so hard. The Bengals have made so many bad moves over the years. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um. You guys now, I will tell you one good move that the probably. Niners had better make. The Niners had better pay, take Josh Allen second. I think they have to uh, because I've said forever, uh, and Vinny will back me up, that you know we did have that long stretch after Jeff Garcia left where it was just ridiculous. Brutal. You know, and, then we, and then we stumbled into Frank Gore, who is, play, is still playing. Like, I mean, <laughs> he's like had a 20-year career. But, uh, and then, you know, we rode that wave of the three straight champion, uh, NFC Championship game, the Super Bowl appearance, which, you know, is more recent than the Cowboys Super Bowl appearance. But, you know, <laughs> so we <laughs> – Wow. But my whole thing wow. is the, the, the front office needs to have a game player. And the way it kind of works is if you can't find – your quarterback. And I think we've got our quarterback with Jimmy G. You know, he was injured, so I think we got that covered. So you, if you have a chance to get a special playmaker on either side of the ball, you can't pass that up. And, and selfishly, I would love to see Josh Allen in the red and gold. But from a practical That's standpoint, right. the 49ers need, they need help from top to bottom. They need an so, edge rusher. And what is exactly. the best? Rushes the edge. Come on. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I have a little bit more faith in this front office than in previous versions that they will make the right choice. No, no head scratcher. Uh, no head scratcher oh. here, please. Yeah, I've, I've got faith in them. I, I, I just hope you know. I, as much as I'd like to see the kid go number one, just because he's awesome. I mean, he is a fantastic football player. The selfish side of me hopes he slides to number two, and. Yeah, I'll be perfectly content if the Niners pick him up. Y'all would be happy to know, because we're talking with Aaron Huff, joining us on Cat Talk Wednesday, Huff Law Office. The finances are rough. Definitely want to call Huff. I listened to uh, a podcast. Terry, I texted to you. Uh, Jim Rohn's got a podcast. has great guests every single time. But he had former lineman Mark Schlereth on there, and – He's telling all these great stories and playing through surgeries and you know winning Super Bowls and how he made it to the NFL, being from Alaska and, and that whole thing. Uh, but you guys would, 
if you listen to it, would be pleased to hear who a couple of the players were that would make him being a fat lineman get up off the bench to watch when the opposing team had the ball. So you guys as Niners fans uh, would enjoy that if you are, are able to listen to that uh, at some point in time. But it was it was a good podcast. But now to uh, cleanse ourselves of all of this 49ers <laughs> talk, we just take a couple seconds and purge it. And uh, let's, oh, let's cleanse the area here. How about them cowboys? And, no. and you have that all of our Let's you get ourselves cleansed. How old is that? Well, hey, do, do you know that that well, happened in the bowels of Candlestick Park, I do believe, in, in the locker room of Candlestick Park after the Niners lost the NFC title game, I do believe. That was uh, 50 years I think ago. that's when that happened. <laughs> and and we, still have, we still have a win, a Super Bowl win more recently than you all. You all went and took an L, so, I mean, I mean oh, you can be happy oh, about that. Okay. It's fine. Let's, 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 but, let's, you know, let's switch to baseball. Hey, I blame the power outage for the loss. I blame the power outage in the stadium in New Orleans. That's the reason for the loss. Yeah, that was a weird game, too. I, I, that was. You know, that was the longest, about... most brutal, anxiety-riddled <laughs> Super Bowl ever. Just sitting there like, when are the lights going to come back up? Yeah, like we, we talk <laughs> about, you know, brutal Kentucky losses that we can all commensurate, but I, the Super Bowl loss, that one still eats at me. You know, because we were yeah. going into the end zone with a chance to win, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, that one that one gnaws at me. Yeah, of course, there's yeah. Wisconsin 2015 and all that. But when your team loses the Super Bowl, that's a that's a kind of a gut punch, especially because Oh, yeah, and to lose the way they lost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we won't, we won't rehash that video. Let's, what, what, what do you got next? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's switch on up to uh, – <laughs> Switch on up to some of these SEC coaching openings, and, and we're working back to some Kentucky as well. Closing One of those got closed already. Yeah. yeah. What do you guys think? Um, hey, Buffalo, Buffalo to – yeah, like leaving Buffalo and stepping up to Alabama is not a bad uh, not a bad step for Oates. Um, it's a logical step. He did a great job in Buffalo. So jumping up and, and trying to take the reins at, at a – you know, a power conference team, that, that's that, that's the logical progression. Now, the downside is they didn't give Avery Johnson very long, and they pulled the trigger on him. Like, in a school that really, in my opinion, didn't focus on basketball very much, I, I thought he, he, got the, he got pulled pretty fast. Um, yeah, he didn't make the tournament. Uh, I think it was like, what is it? Three of the four seasons, but this year he was on the on the bubble with them, and one win away basically from getting in. And I I don't know. It, it, I thought that was probably the worst of the firings. Um, the one the firing that I I regret the most is Mike Anderson because it's it's good to have a villain. Um, he was fun to he was fun to hate, man. He hated Cal, the blow-by handshakes at the end of the games. Those were always uh, kind of fun to, to kind of watch and, and, and you know, laugh about because, I mean, it, there's, it, it was palpable how much he disliked Cal Perry. And, uh, it, it, like I said, having a villain is good. You, you want somebody you can, like, look forward to a certain game and be like, 
Now, that game, I hope we just absolutely dismantle him. Bruce Pearl was that that guy when he was at Tennessee. Not so much now at Auburn because I think he's been kind of giving us way too much credit for, for me to, like, hate him much lately. He's glad to have a job. He's glad to have a job. He's glad to have a job. Glad to have a job, but he's done he's well. definitely yeah. in his his post game comments about the cats in both games, it was glowing talk about UK and everything. And it's stark contrast to the guy who painted his whole body orange and was jumping around screaming how much he hated Kentucky when he was at Tennessee. And uh, <laughs> so you know he was a he was a fun villain. And then like we had that in Arkansas, which I, I know TV oftentimes in the past has talked about how. Arkansas is kind of his letdown team of the SEC because you know it, it looked when they when they came in like we were going to have an annual rival that was just quality every year and then they just completely mm-hmm. fizzled. Um, and yeah. and that's the issue with SEC basketball. But you look at SEC football and everybody's just trying to beat Alabama, right? That that's you know you try to get Alabama assistance, you try to catch that lightning in a bottle. On the flip side, it's and, and we could talk about this too. It, on SEC basketball, it's are you competitive with Kentucky? And, and Rick Barnes is riding nice and high because you know he's 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 had our number here the last couple of seasons. So you're yeah. looking for coaches to get you close to Kentucky. Uh, whether you know Tennessee drops off after some of these guys leave, that remains to be seen. But SEC coaches, you're looking for somebody that can compete with Kentucky or at least aggravate them like Mike Anderson did. You know, at least, you know, provide that little bit. Uh, but you're right, Aaron. I, I always – I'll go to my grave thinking, when Arkansas got into the SEC, I think we all thought, because they had a couple of Final Fours before joining, and then they win the championship runner-up, I thought that was going to be the team where, you know, our conference foe year in, year out, that game was going to be must-see TV, and it, and it didn't happen. And as a Kentucky fan, I love kicking, you know, everybody's butt in the conference, but I, I do want that guy to hate that one team that you know just hates Kentucky. It was um, uh, Kevin Stallings at Vanderbilt. I got to cover some games, and it was palpable how much he hated Kentucky. Same with Mike Anderson, like just hated Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And, and we need a little bit of that. I think Oates has a little bit of that because if you guys remember could be that guy. last year in Boise, yeah, yeah he kind of mm-hmm. he tugged on Kentucky's cape a little bit after they beat Arizona. Yeah. You know, the you know Kentucky wasn't special. Cal does a lot of crying, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think if he can get things mm-hmm. rolling at Bama, he could kind of become that guy. You know, and I don't fault those coaches for disliking Kentucky because if you ever watch those post game pressers, whether the team wins or loses. It's all, all the questions are always about Kentucky. They always, you know, Jerry Tipton, those guys, it always comes back to, yeah, you know, your team won or lost, whatever. But what do you think about the Cats' chances to win the championship? So those guys have got to get tired of that. Uh, so I don't fault those guys for that. But uh, the SEC, I think it's better than it has been because oh, a lot. schools are paying attention to basketball. And if you put that investment in, you get that. Tennessee finally got serious, bringing Rick Barnes in. Uh, you know, Florida 
you know, for years they talked about how nobody cared about basketball in Florida despite two championships. Now they've got Mike White, who's got a good thing going. LSU, and we don't know what's going to happen with all the LSU. Ooh, good. L- L- LSU, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're back Ooh. in the mix. So I, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's a, 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 some – the pendulum has swung back, I, I think. So with all these coaching hires, I don't think if you're an AD, you can just say, look, my football program's good. I think, you know, it's, it's, there's this urge from the SEC office, like, hey, you've got to take, you know, men's basketball seriously. You've got to do some things. We've seen Mississippi uh, upgrade their facilities. We've seen, I think, I think Alabama did the same, if I'm not mistaken. So you see some teams actually, uh, you know, they're bringing in coaches. You know, Ben Howland. At, uh, you look at, you know, I love to make fun of the guy, but you look at, uh, oh, I can't even think of, Tom Crean, you know, down at Georgia. You know, at least they're oh, bringing yeah. in some, some, some pizzazz into the, the, the SEC. But uh, it's, it's like it's been for 80 years, 85 years, whatever. Everybody's just trying to catch up with Kentucky. We can, we can say that because that's, you know, that's a fact, like today's Wednesday. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I and... agree with – I kind of disagree with Avery Johnson. I, I think, look, four years, he was 75 and 60-something. He averaged that out to 18 and 15. Last year's squad was really good. This year's squad, you know, under Chief, you still got Petty, you still got Dante Hall. You had Tevin Mack who hit, you know, 17 threes when Kentucky played them down there. And, you know, they beat Kentucky and then lose three or four in a row. I think, you know, four years and, you know, Avery was brought in with a bunch of coaches that were expected to boost up the league. And he didn't really get it done. Um, I was a little bit more surprised with Billy Kennedy being – shown the door after this one bad season than I was Avery. Um, because no, I, for a minute, I, I was Jerry, like you really said, every, yeah, every every team, like you said, TB, takes their turn is trying to step up and challenge Kentucky. And, and just a couple years ago, we were talking about Texas A&M being that team. So they dipped this year, and but I thought, okay, that's fine. They'll, they'll get it back going. And, you know, bang, he's out. You're hearing that you know Buzz Williams at Virginia Tech is their prize guy that they would like to to fill that void. So I was I was a little more shocked uh, about Kennedy being gone than than anybody else. And then you know with with Anderson being there for eight years, just never could recapture you know what Nolan had. And of course they had a couple of you know Stan Heath and and former Cat, our fellow Kentuckian John Pelfrey. That didn't go well for him, but Mike, Mike made the tournament three times, but just never got it back. You know, the boulder pushed back up to the mountain the way it was. Now I'll go and back Kevin to Sensor Avery Johnson. Though. You know, for for me, I look at the Avery Johnson thing along the lines of he's almost the perfect analogy to you know he is to basketball what Stoops is to football kind of thing. Um, you know, you look at how massive our basketball program is and, you know, how rabid our fan base is. Well, that needed to translate into football, but football, it, it's going to take, you know, it takes a little time to 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 pull a team up that, that you know, traditionally was a doormat in the SEC. 
um, for better or for worse, you know. Um, you flip that script for Alabama, and they've got it opposite. You know, their football is king down there, super dominant. It's the team that everybody in the SEC or everybody in the nation wants to beat. But then their basketball team was kind of a doormat. And I think you needed somebody that had a good name that could build that program. But I thought I, I truly thought that it would take him at least another year or two to get it to where there's any kind of consistency down there. But that's just because I looked at it along the lines of, you know, it, it took Stoops, like, with people screaming for him to be gone. You know, like some of the fan base, for some odd reason, like, they, they turn on him quickly. And, you know, he's not winning enough. And I'm like, it takes, you know, he, he's he's doing a great job of, like, building one year after another. And I thought, you know, maybe the Avery Johnson thing was kind of like that, where, you know, he, he's got a, a giant – you know, like, you know, blazing sun of, of a, uh, an entity that is at the same school and, and it's where all the focus is. And he's trying to, like, build off of that and get the, the fan base fired up for, for basketball as well. Um, it, Oates is going to have the I same agree. thing. I mean, when he, when he steps in, he's going to have – they're, they're going to have to give him a few years to, like, build the team and and drum up the excitement level that football gets. Um, it took Stoops a, a number of years to do that here, and, it, and it's worked. But, I mean, like, that's because we, we gave him the opportunity to do that. And and I agree with that sentiment, Aaron, because, you know, the first year I was covering football, uh, and I, I've told this before, that, you know, you, you go into the media room there in the old Commonwealth Stadium, I mean, there was duct tape kind of keeping the, the uh, carpet together in some spots. The tile had kind of that those water spots in it where it's like, yeah, Kentucky was SEC football, but were we really? And I don't know the situation when Avery got there in, uh, in, in Tuscaloosa for Alabama football, but you'd have to believe that he walked into a situation where it's like they weren't really serious about basketball. And if you're going to lay that foundation, it's going to take a little bit of time because, you know, when Stoops came in, he had to start – you know, putting in new carpet. And, like, I mean, that's just things that are beyond X's and O's. You have to start with a whole culture. And and also, Aaron, like you said, Stoops understands that if you've got two wins at Thanksgiving, Big Blue Madness is right around the corner, people are going to stop caring. People check the out. Same way. Yeah. Right. Avery Johnson, <laughs> if you're 500 and you're on the bubble for the NCAA tournament, Alabama's got spring football. You know, they're signing day, like, in February – that will overshadow anything you're doing. So you have to work really hard and, and build a, a nice foundation to kind of to jump up. So I, I agree with you along those lines is, you know, Alabama football is very analogous. That's another uh, good word for you, Vinny. Analogous uh-huh. Alabama football and Kentucky basketball is that they're so good, they're so dominant, they overshadow everything else on campus no matter how good everything else is. And if you're going to come in and do a vibe of sport, you've really got to fight the mindset of your own fans. I think it's just, I don't know if Avery snake bitten or what. Or he, he had a, a decent head coaching career rolling along. And, you know, TB, we started the show. You mentioned how one seeds, you know, gradually end up facing competition in the tournament. 
you mentioned, you know, five started to beat 12s, fours beat 13s. One started to play tough for a half, and then, you know, Virginia, boom. You know, 15s beat twos, you know, Hampton beating Iowa State and all that. And, you know, the NBA, we've seen eights beat ones before, you know, we in best out of five, we, we saw, you know, Denver and Seattle with, with Matumbo and, and all that beating Kemp and Payton. Avery had that Dallas team that was loaded and, and just got just picked apart by Baron Davis and Golden State and all those guys uh, come back the next year and don't get it done, so he moves on to the Nets. And and so I don't I don't know if he's a snake bitten or, or, or what, and then, you know, not able to get it going at Alabama. They were on the bubble this year, and I, I, can, I can see y'all's point. If, you know, they get a couple more wins or do a little bit better in the tournament, he's probably still there. But I think it was just one of those teetering years. You know, Stoops had his five and seven, five and sevens, and everybody was ready to go, and he was able to survive the teeter and make it, and then just Avery just wasn't able to survive his teeter. Well, and Alabama had a home run higher right out the box, like we said at the beginning of the conversation. Uh, Nate Oates is a fantastic coach. So if you're going to make a move like getting rid of Avery Johnson, kind of under these circumstances, you've got to hit a home run the next – you've got to have your guy. And looking at the timeline, it's pretty obvious that Alabama knew who they are going to get and got their guy. So, you know, when I first heard Avery got fired, I felt one way. But, hey, you got Buffalo's Nate Oates. That, that, That ain't bad. So, yeah, you got a really good up and coming. Yeah, yeah, really good up and, and coming and coach. Alabama's been on this path before. I mean, Anthony Grant was up and coming and was supposed to do well, and, and that didn't work. Avery didn't work. Buffalo is becoming a pretty good stepping stone place. I mean, you saw Bobby Hurley step from there to Arizona State. Nate Oates fills Hurley's place. Beats Hurley in the tournament, and now he steps on to Alabama. So, you know, Buffalo here lately is – is uh, become a pretty good little launching pad to a better job for these guys. All right. I'll tell you the one coach who I wasn't surprised to see let go is Bryce Drew. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't go over in your conference and keep that job. Mm-hmm. I know no. there was a lot of uh, – there are a lot of people that were like, I can't believe they let him go that soon. And, and I'm like, he went over in the conference, and then I saw people saying, well, he lost his best player. Still, you lost one player. You got to at least cobble together yeah. a win in the conference. Like, yeah. even yeah. one. I mean, it's the worst conference record in SEC history. Um, the worst home record for Vanderbilt, I think, since they've been playing in their current stadium, which is like, I want to say it's like 50 or 60-some-odd years. And yeah, um that that was a gods to go situation. Yeah, it was the first you know, he's win one. home losing record for Vanderbilt in sixty seven years. Yeah, you're gone at that point. I, yeah, I don't that, think that, that and, and Yeah, this is the, and his this is the first over in the SEC since what, 53, 54, Georgia Tech, and, and who? Yeah. I mean, 
And, <laughs> we were and they didn't play they were in the conference back then. Yeah. yeah. And they had Tennessee beat at home. They had them beat when yeah. that one. Had them. And who knows now how might take a they different were turn. They were a victim of the flop. Come on. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Great win but, flop. And, and that, that flop bit him at the LSU game. Carmen hit him in Baton Rouge for that flop in Nashville. Let's talk oh, about yeah. Tennessee and, and, and the flopping. I, I see you guys, you know, during the games and everything. I think this season, this offseason, number one, I think they need to upgrade the officials. We've got a lot of older officials. Oh, yeah. I think the game is a little too fast. But number two, they, they've got to work on this secondary defender being able to draw the a charge. I, I think if you're the primary defender and you beat your man to the space, that's a charge. But if you slide over and you give the offensive man, you know, less than a step to change his direction, I think that's a, yeah, that's that's a blocking foul. And, and I agree. And what Tennessee has been able to do, I was so hoping that uh, they would have choked away the game to Iowa, which they almost did, which they almost did. Oh, yeah. I'm no fan of Tennessee for a myriad of reasons, but this style of play of – of, of baiting the officials into ridiculous calls, that's at the top of my list for why I dislike Tennessee. Oh, I, I tried growing and up halfway between Knoxville and Lexington. You would really hate <laughs> Tennessee then. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with. I'm right on the border. I'm in Harley <laughs> County where I grew up. So I'm, I'm. But I was still three hours to Lexington, three hours to Knoxville. It was the same distance both. I, I know exactly how you feel, Aaron. Uh, I grew up in the southeast corner where Kentucky, Virginia, Tennessee oh, meet. Yeah. So we would go to Kingsport and Johnson City. You know, mom wanted to go shopping. That's where we would go. So on that border, Tennessee and Louisville, those rivalries are 1 and 1A to me, just like Terry's in the belly of the beast in Louisville. You and I, growing up in eastern Kentucky, are in the belly of the beast as far as, as Tennessee is concerned, for sure. Oh, and Grant, yeah, too, no man, doubt. That's strong. Grant too being too strong to slot like that. He doesn't have to he do does, it. He, I agree. You know, he can be a tight end for, for Pruitt, and he's out there flopping. He's got down. size. He's got too much mass, and the, the guy, like, I mean, he flops left and right. And then uh, he's not the only one on the team. Like, uh, the one I, – I can't remember who it was now, but in uh, – I, I think it was the – I can't remember if it was the SEC championship game or SEC semifinal game or if it was the last – regular season game with Tennessee where there is a play there's a Tennessee kid who just like sent himself flying and nobody touched him it was off of like a rebound the guy like flops about a full second after the play is moved on and I thought oh my come on what's going on there that's that that is the most ridiculous flop on in the history of flopping but absolutely it's I don't get how – and you're right, though. I think that – I do think that there was a down year for officiating, personally. I, I mm-hmm. You know, looking at the SEC refs and everything, and I think they wisely took advantage of it. It's really not working that much for them in the NCAA tournament. I mean, a lot of these things are getting, like, the correct no call or, you know, it's it's – getting called as, as a, a blocking foul. It's, they're not getting the, the the flop charge calls like they were. And, and this is my aggravating Central point Florida with, Duke now. <laughs> yeah, with the, uh, here's my problem with the uh, uh, officials. 
is that nothing. There's so many teams that their style of play depends on who the officials are, and that to me isn't. That's not basketball. Is it smart? Yeah, but let me, you know, you know, old man, get off my lawn. It's like those Patino teams at U of L. You know, you're you're daring the officials to call every single foul, right? You know, the grabbing, the clutching, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And the officials aren't going to want to do that. So, you know, then they start calling these uneven games. We have seen a lot of Kentucky games. The first half is officiated dramatically different than the second half. You know, the the Tennessee-Kentucky game, the SEC yeah. tournament was so bad. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you, this was on TV, but Barnes and Cal are laughing at each other. They're, they're like laughing. Oh, yeah, yeah. they, they at, showed at, it. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a succession of calls where it's just – it's so nonsensical. Uh, I hate the guy that is at midcourt and calls the out-of-bounds play underneath the basket, right? Yeah. I hate that call mm-hmm. because I'm like, you can't see – you know, 30 feet down the court through 10 feet. Like, you can't – there's no physical way you can see that call. And, and you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to kind of sit two rows from the court for the SC tournament. And you're looking, and you've got all these bodies. You can't see. Like, everybody thinks, oh, you know, the, from the camera view, you can see what's going – but if you're on the floor, it's even worse because you're like, there's no way you can see that. Like, there's no way from the positioning that you can see that. That's my first thing. Number two is I hate, hate, hate the the calls where they're at home, and if it goes for the home team, they put that Leslie Nielsen naked gun a little extra on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're going to give you the emphatic <laughs> and one call. Just call the game, man. Yeah. Just call the game. That's but we. I don't want to go down to the past too much, but uh, I had to had to get that off my chest. No, I I, I agree. I, I think the especially the dramatic calls where it's like, you're not the show. You're not what people want to watch. People want to watch the game. You're just officiate. Don't, don't make it that that flashy. Yeah. And it's, this problem is older than us. I listen, you know, the great Oscar Combs, who, you know, was gracious enough to come on this show. UK historian founded the cat's paws. You know, we've all known him our whole life. You know, TV, you and I get to, you know, cross paths with him when we get to cover games. But he had his podcast, and he he stopped doing it after 101 episodes. But, you know, UK legend after UK legend, from the past to the present, he had on there with him. I hadn't listened to all the shows, but I'm definitely going to. I listened to the very first one today, and uh, it was Humzy Yesen who played with Wallace Wawa Jones at Harlan and went on to be a manager for Adolph Rupp at UK. And, you know, Oscar's asking him different things about, you know, who's the best player that you saw play against Kentucky, best coach, you know, so on and so forth. Give me some of those (laughs) disgusting, despicable officials that you all interacted with back then. So he named refs that Coach Rupp hated, and then he named his (laughs) own guy, and it was the exact same, putting too much flash in a call. And this is like back in the 40s, but they couldn't stand. I forget the guy, the ref's name. He called his name. But it was the exact same stuff we're talking about <laughs> 70 years ago <laughs> that was still a thorn and, and just got on people's nerves even back then. So just, you know, how interesting that, that conversation was. And the same thing 
Kentucky was selling out the dopey arenas they played in throughout the SEC back then, just like it is today. So it was it was really really neat. All right, Aaron. Before we let you yeah. go, and we thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate um, that. Uh, we've been interacting for a long time on on the Twitter and through basketball seasons and football seasons and cats and Niners and and now Cubs. I, you know, I've, yeah, I've, I've been I've, I've been to, swayed. <laughs> so welcome to the good to side of baseball. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been a baseball <laughs> vagabond, an orphan, kind of hopping around. So, but you know, the biggest reason I have joined the Cubs bandwagon goes without saying. So. Um, <laughs> but looking forward to the Sweet oh. 16, what is your prediction for the Cats this weekend? Should we make plans for Minneapolis? My prediction is going to be a little bit bold, actually. My prediction is PJ is going to come out. He's coming back for the Houston game. We're going to absolutely kill Houston on the inside because our our front court's going to demolish them. And then I, I think our defense is going to going to you know, stay at that good pace that it's been so far in the tournament. Uh, you know, we'll dog these guys. They're not the five slam jamma Houston of thirty plus years ago. Um, right. You know, we'll you know we'll we'll dismantle Houston just fine. But on the opposite side of the bracket, I think Auburn comes out on fire against North Carolina. And I think that they throw a nasty haymaker out of the gate and it stuns UNC. And I think that the the end result is you see the Cats playing, uh, playing Auburn to go to the Final Four. We end up beating them to go to the Final Four and we pack our bags for Minneapolis and Reed Travis gets to hang out with family while he's getting ready for the games. I, I like that, and, and here's the thing. I, I agree with, obviously, every bracket I fill out, I've got the cats going on. I'm never, ever going to predict otherwise. I'm not judging people. I'm just saying what I do, so I've got the cats winning. But the Auburn-UNC game, Auburn plays the same pace that UNC does. The difference is Auburn will hit threes and trade UNC for twos. I think yep. I don't think you can speed Auburn up because that's been Roy's thing at Carolina, this up-and-down uh, kind of pace. I don't, think, I don't know if you want to do that against Auburn, because all it takes is two – I was telling a, a, a Sean Smith at the SEC tournament, because like, Auburn was playing, I think, Florida uh, in the semifinal, and they were kind of going back and forth. And the thing was, if Auburn as a team sees two threes go in, that's it. Oh yeah, we saw that they the game off at of Auburn. Right, the game at Auburn. I mean, we was it a twenty-two point lead or something like that, and Auburn hit like two or three, and then I said to myself, "Yeah, it's a fifteen-point game now, but this is scary. This is scary." And we saw they have that surge of points where Auburn playing fast doesn't bother them at all. So uh, everybody's looking forward to the Kentucky North Carolina rematch, but it could be Kentucky-Auburn rematch, and that would scare me even more, to be honest with you. But uh, no matter who it is, Auburn's on a street. Cats are going to Minneapolis. Cats, cats are going to Minneapolis. Yeah. Let's get our cold gear ready because I don't think it's ever warm there. And uh, <laughs> it'll be a fun Final Four, man. 
Are you going to go to the Are you going to the Final Four? Are you going? I'm I'm for Cannon Mills Radio. I'm going to the Final Four. I'm going to the Final Four. You know, I did Boise last year. Atlanta. I've done a lot of NCAA tournaments. I said this year uh, because Michelle Brown is going to cover. She was in Jacksonville. She'll be in Kansas City. So the Cats make it to. Uh, Minneapolis, I will be there as a bucket list item to, to cover my beloved cats in the final four. So, uh, yeah, so I'll be there. So I, I'm not looking forward to Minneapolis in general, but the final four with the cats, yeah, sign me up. I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, possibility. That, that'll be a good time, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, well, we hey and Aaron, too, man. And our, much time, yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely. And Aaron and our uh, our Play Balto bracket challenge, you are tied for second right now, forty nine points. Um, my sister is leading, Terry Hardy with fifty four. You're tied for second. I'm tenth with forty six. Terry T B Brown is bringing up the rear of between all of us <laughs> with forty five points. Uh, and we'll see what happens this coming weekend uh, with our bracket. But appreciate you taking the time to hop in there. Uh, Absolutely. And play along with our, with our bracket hello. challenge and and advertise on the show and talk sports with us, man. We enjoy every minute of it, man. Can't thank you enough. Oh, no. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Aaron. All right. We'll see y'all. Yes, sir. Have a good Bye-bye. evening. Aaron Huff, Huffman himself, TV. Yes, it was, yeah. man. Came on and chopped it up with us about an hour and a half, and we hit – Pretty much all the all the topics he was talking about on Twitter before the show, uh, we didn't get to Enrietti or whatever his name is, the lawyer dudes, you know, trying to reveal some of his stuff before he possibly goes to jail. We didn't get to that one. But we hit almost every other topic. So, man, that was great. Yeah, and, and like I said, Aaron is a great follow on Twitter. We didn't even give out his Twitter handle. Well, you can follow yeah, him on did. Twitter. It is. Did we, did we go over at Aaron yeah. Huff, so follow him. Yeah. He's great, like I said, cat, and he's got he's got some great insights. He he comes at it with that kind of analytical kind of lawyer mind. So he's a great great follow. Mm-hmm. He is not one of these guys that goes off the deep end that the cats give up a basket uh, or anything. And you know we commensurate when the Forty ers aren't doing what we want to do. And he's one of the folks welcome me into my newfound Cub Phantom. So great, great guy, great follow. Was able to meet him and his family at uh, at a game last year, I think it was. So uh, oh, great, cool. great time. Great, oh. great time. Yeah, well, yeah, that's 49ers stuff. That's all y'all do is commiserating because they ain't never doing what y'all want to do. But anyway, um, you know, that's y'all, you know, y'all used to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, have faith in all hell, Jimmy G. <laughs> Jimmy G. You uh, <laughs> You're, you were you were absolutely petty, but that's all right. That's what we're here for. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah, man. I'm I'm going because we got like a minute left before we go off the air. But if you know, as always, it is available on the podcast. We go off, um, go beyond the, the eight o'clock on air two hour window. I'm thinking, you know, it's it's going to be kind of a, a, a sixty nine sixty two game. If Kentucky comes out on top uh, to advance to play the winner in North Carolina, Auburn. Both teams are, are very good defensively, so I don't I don't see it getting up in the 70s and 80s. I mean, but you know anything is possible. 
but I think it'll be a, a grounded out, kind of hard fought, gritty win uh, to get by these Cougars Friday night. Absolutely, I, I, I definitely uh, agree. And again, you know, getting to the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, uh, and let me just talk about that. Uh, you know, I think I said this last week, but I've seen more and more uh, people. Uh, from opposing fan bases, oh, the Cats are, you know, Kentucky always loses a Sweet 16. That is a weird flex for a team with more tournament wins than anybody else. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, they always always losing a Sweet 16? Really? Like, really? I, I, you know, I, that just aggravates me. It's like, say you don't like Kentucky, but but be accurate with your, with your hate. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, see if um, you know how PJ acclimates and and all that. Michelle will be out there for Cameron Mills Radio, like you mentioned. So, uh, we'll see y'all uh, her tweets uh, from covering it as well. Um, and look forward to seeing you do the same thing from the Great North if they make their way on up to Minneapolis. Two tough ones, but everybody's got tough games at this point. It's, it's that time of year. You know, it's, it's tough teams all around. Um, you know, Gonzaga, Florida State, a rematch. Florida State knocked him out last year. That's going to be a tough one. Um, it's, I, I hope you're right with Auburn, you know, and, and if they do get a couple to fall, they do, you know, kind of spark and catch fire. But they've been on a good roll already, and, and it was hard to see them shooting better. And they did against Tennessee in the SEC tournament title game, and then they went out and did it against North Carolina. Can they sustain it? You know, uh, you know, live by the three, die by the three. But hopefully, they are able to to keep that hot streak going. Um, it's just going to be uh, a lot of fun. You know, Michigan State, LSU, it's going to be fun. Um, LSU just riding this wave of. Scandal for as long as they can, and they're just going to deal with the repercussions when whenever the season comes to an end. So, um, you know, it's just a lot of fun stuff happening right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Man, thanks again to to Aaron Huff for hopping on the show. We had a blast. Appreciate you each and every single week. Um, Disagreeing on all the non-UK stuff that we do. Podcast will be up on you know, iTunes and Stitcher, Player FM, CastBox. Put it up on the Facebook and Twitter page shortly. Uh, if you missed us now, check us out uh, later on this evening or tomorrow at your convenience or anywhere else you download your podcast. If you subscribe, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. If you subscribe, it will automatically come to your phone. You don't have to look for it. It will just pop up and be right there ready for you to listen. So uh, another fun show, TV. Hopefully this time next week we are talking about, you know, your preparations for Minneapolis, the Mall of America, uh, all of that great stuff. I can't, I can't say the Metrodome. That's not there anymore. But the, the new Viking Stadium where the Final Four will probably be. Paisley um, Park is where I'm coming. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> be purpled out heading to Minneapolis. Exactly. Man. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> well, yeah. have a good rest of the evening. 
appreciate everybody listening. Thanks to Aaron Huff for Man Chain TV Brown. This is Vinny Hardy. Enjoy the ball games. It's going to be a late one Friday because you know it won't start at 10, but we're going to be wide awake all night Friday watching the Cats and the Cougars. And we'll be talking about all of it as we hope to be talking Final Four with UK in it next Wednesday. Terry Brown, this is Vinny Hardy. Cats Talk Wednesday, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We will see y'all next Wednesday. Have a good evening and a good rest of the week, y'all.